Welcome to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or how to think, but discuss why people believe what they do and why it matters. On this journey, we will speak with artists, curators, influencers, and pastors. I'm Aaron Ross. And I'm Ben Gomez. Man, we're so excited to have with us uh, the Reverend Dr. Gabriel Salguero, uh, lead associate pastor at Calvary City Church in Orlando, Florida, and also the president and founder of the National Latino Evangelical Coalition, oversees 3,000 churches inside this affiliation. And so I'm going to let him introduce himself, share a little bit of his background, and then I have some very, very good questions for him today to help us unpackage the contribution that uh, Latino and Hispanic pastors and people have made uh, in the States, really. That includes Central America, South America, and obviously North America. Thank you, Ben and Aaron. I'm glad to be here uh, on the podcast, and more importantly, at SEU uh, during this time of Hispanic Heritage Month. And it's, it's an awesome time. I was fortunate and blessed to share both in chapel and do a lecture on the hyphen impact on theology and culture. And so my hope is that uh, the ministries of Hispanics, Latino, Latina, Latinx, Christians, and Pentecostals uh, will continue to be highlighted as part of the kind of global Pentecostal body. And so I'm just honored to be here. As you've said, I pastor here in Orlando, Florida, Calvario City Church, a Latino-led multi-ethnic church. I'm happily married for 18 years with my wife, Jeanette, who's also a pastor, Reverend Jeanette Salguero, and my two handsome boys, John Gabriel, who's 14 at the time, and Seth, who's 10. And so we've been here in Florida for almost four years as pastor. And NALIC, the National Latino Evangelical Coalition, which has been around for over a decade, or close to 12 years, where we've been doing the work of advocacy, direct service, and leadership development for Hispanic evangelicals and Pentecostals across the nation. So honored to be here. So, uh, Dr. Saguero, I'm just going to start off and just ask this question. Um, you said that you uh, have a Latino-led multi-ethnic church. Um, what does that mean when we nowadays in America seems that there has been this rise of the mega church? And so how do you unpackage that for us? Yeah, I think for me that there are many types of multi-ethnic churches. They're Anglo-led and African-American-led and Asian-led and and Korean-led as part of the Asian family, and Chinese-led as part of the Asian, and Guatemalan-led as part of the Hispanic family. What that means is uh, I had a conversation with Tim Keller some uh, months ago. Obviously, I'm Pentecostal. He's Reformed. And I t- uh, he talks about multi-ethnic churches in urban context. And I said, yes, but multi-ethnic churches can have different accents or flavors. And so if you're Latino-led, you have kind of a Latino flavor, even though we have people from over 28 countries in our church. If you're a Euro-led or Anglo-led, you have a certain flavor. If you're Asian-led, you have a certain—the leadership gives it a certain accent, a certain liturgical uh, feel. Um, but at the same time, it's it's welcoming of all uh, races and ethnic groups. And so we're Latino-led is because— there, there are Latino leaders in it, but we're multi-ethnic, and because everyone's welcome, everyone's welcome to serve, lead, and worship. They're just as in Anglo-led multi-ethnic churches. I think it's a model that increasingly grows as the number of evangelicals and Pentecostals of color grow in the U.S. That model of minority-led multi-ethnic churches will continue to grow. 
I love, um, I love that, especially when we think about like flavors and trying to understand like what we can get from different experiences. I think for some people, maybe they don't even know the language that you've used, um, like Latina, Latino, or Latinx, maybe kind of, if you can unpack that a little bit in, in relation to this kind of ethnic, multi-ethnic church reality. Yeah. The, the reality is that, um, these terms, uh, there's, social constructs created to identify a group. And so the word Hispanic, for example, was uh, first used in a census in the United States when President mm-hmm. Nixon was the, yeah. was the president, the Nixon census, the word Hispanic is used as a census category. And then other groups uh, kind of in response to that said, no, no, we'd rather be called Latino or Latina, the feminine form for women. And then now younger groups are calling Latinx, so that way you don't have to say Latino, Latina. Latinx yeah. means, okay, you want to include the O and the A, shorthand version of that. And so Hispanics are about 58 million in the United States. Uh, one out of every four babies born in the United States mm, yeah. is Hispanic. One out of every seven people in the U.S., uh, is Hispanic, and so there's a real demographic boom of Hispanics. There's close to 7 million Hispanic evangelicals in the United States, yeah. of which 67% self-identify as Pentecostal or um, neo-Pentecostal or charismatic. And so they, it's a real growth area for the church in the United States. Um, and here's here's a thing that a lot of people may not know, Aaron and, and Ben, which is two-thirds of the Hispanics living in the United States are born in the U.S. So yeah, the majority— wow of Hispanics in the U.S. are not foreign-born, right. U.S.-born children, grandchildren, fourth or even fifth generation of, of Hispanics living in the U.S. If the if the U.S. was a Spanish-speaking country, it would be the second largest Spanish-speaking country. There's more hmm. Hispanics in the U.S. than in mostly every other country wow. in the world. And so this is important. And now um, in some groups, uh, some Brazilian groups self-identify as Hispanic, others don't they, um, because uh, because they speak Portuguese. And so it's a, it's a kind of broad uh, category, demographic category that's used mostly in senses, mostly in, in yeah. counting people, but increasingly the church uh, in the U.S. has to create an awareness of their contributions to theology, to culture, yeah. to society. Yeah. And so when you talk about the Hispanic contribution, I know in your lecture, you you talked about a double consciousness and a triple consciousness. For our listeners um, who are out there and saying, well, what do I bring to the table as a Hispanic? What do I bring to the table as a person of color um, in this um, in this climate right now in the United States when it comes to, to church, when it comes to theology? Can you unpackage a little bit what you had mentioned in your lecture? Yeah, I, I think that double consciousness is not a term I coined. It's from W.B. Du Bois, The Souls of Black Folk. Mm-hmm, yeah. And he says in his book, he's a, a, a former sociologist, he's deceased for many years, but uh, in his book, Souls of Black Folk, he says that if you're African-American, you have a double consciousness, a consciousness of being born in America or at, or brought to America as a slave, if you go back that far, and of, of having an African heritage or a black heritage. And so you, you live in that tension. Uh, Elding Villafaña builds on that in his book, The Liberating Spirit, uh, toward a Hispanic Pentecostal ethic. And he says that Latinos often have a triple consciousness. They're, they're Hispanic, uh, which may have indigenous roots, African roots, European roots. They're American, which is also a reality. So they're uh, Hispanic-American. Um, and... They're navigating the reality of indigenous roots, African roots, European roots, and American roots. And all of that is beautiful. 
That's not, you shouldn't try to obviate or erase any of that. God makes everyone beautiful. Uh, and all those cultures have something to contribute to global uh, Pentecostalism and to the Church of Jesus Christ. I, I love that. And I think I have a question, especially being, um, well, for me, being white, so not being African-American, not being— You're uh, what? I know, I'm white. <laughs> Crazy. I couldn't tell. Thanks. Um uh, how, how would you help explain that to someone who doesn't have maybe a double or triple consciousness? Like, what does that mean to help those those of our listeners who don't kind of live in that reality, how to understand Look, and participate? I think that everybody has a heritage, right? Yeah. If you go far back enough. And now that they may be aware of it or not aware of it, that's a different reality. So let's say you're Euro-American. You might be an Irish heritage or an Italian heritage or a... Uh, uh, Portuguese heritage or Spaniard heritages from Europe, so forth, and Scandinavian, yeah, yeah. so forth, and so on. And so, uh, the meals you eat, if you if you keep some of those uh, dishes that are typical of your of your ethnic background, that's part of your heritage. And 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 your last name. Yeah, might be part of O'Hare or O'Rourke or, or or if you have a Scandinavian. And so the reality is that we all have a cultural history, but not all of us uh, may recognize it because we have this understanding that that we need to be a melting pot. Yeah, uh, the kind of the classic report on um, that was by Moynihan and others that talks about America as a melting pot. The reality is that America is more like a salad bowl. Yeah. And the kingdom of God is certainly, diversity is celebrated in the sim, in kingdom of God. I'm talking about racial, ethnic diversity, cultural diversity, uh, generational diversity, but all within the order. It's a diversity within the orders of creation. And so, you know, in when we, when we get to eternity, Revelation 7, 9, the theologian John says in Revelation, I saw them from every tribe, nation, and tongue. This is after the eschaton. This is in the end. Yeah. So that means that even in the end, our differences yeah. will, be yeah. will be will be noticeable. So yeah, for those listeners that are Trekkies, right? There was a, especially the, the later forms of Star Trek, the, the Borg. You remember the Borg? Mm -hmm. The Borg yeah. was, it was its, its project was to homogenize everybody and, and subsume them or assimilate them into the Borg. The famous... Phrases resistant is futile. Yeah, and and mm -hmm. so that's not the project of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God doesn't want to make us all the same. There's unity in the body of Christ, but there's not uniformity. Some of us yeah. are the arm, and some of us are the leg, and some of us are Asian, and some of us are Latino, and some of us are Europe European, some of us are Africans, and some of us are First Nations or Native Americans, and all of that together is the body of Christ, not better or worse. So to be Hispanic is not better than being Asian yeah. Or, yeah. or Asian is not better than being African or European. The problem is that we have historical uh, racial oppression where one group has tried to oppress another. And that's not just in the U.S., that's happened all over the world. Historically, groups and nations have tried to conquer, assimilate, or or eradicate other groups. And that's where sin happens, when we don't appreciate our God-given and God-created diversity. Even the garden was created diversely before yeah. the fall. And so diversity is not a product of the fall. Diversity is a gift of creation. Yeah. But it has to be God-ordered. So not all diversity is god Diversity. It's got to be God-ordered diversity. I love what you just said, um, how it's it's unity, not uniformity. And so uh, if I'm a pastor, uh, practically, how do I create space 
for um, the people in the congregation, the people in my community, not to just be like me, look like me, talk like me, walk like me, dress like me, think like me, but how do I celebrate and how do I create space for the diversity that you just mentioned? Well, I, I think I'll give you a few steps. First, we have to teach biblical understandings of diversity. The New Testament church was diverse. There was the Gentile and the Jewish church. There was uh, churches in Ephesus and churches in Laodicea and churches in Philippi. And, and so there was diversity. There were Romans and Greeks and Jews. And so let's get back to the Bible with the Bible. So we have to have a uh, theology, a biblical theology of diversity, of race, of, of what it means to, to uh, Jews, Greeks, right? The Bible says that. That, that uh, God so loved the world. God didn't love an ethnic group specifically. Yeah. God doesn't have an ethnic racial preference. So we have to teach biblical understandings of the celebration of diversity. Number two, we have to expose uh, both ourselves and our congregants to a variety, you know, have pulpit swaps, bring people from other churches, have have uh, joint worship services from from people who who worship maybe in a different culture in a different in a different language, and and find that place. Uh, thirdly, make friends with people who are different from you. For goodness sakes, yeah, you know, yeah. don't just don't. Cre Sometimes the the challenge we have is that we have echo chambers. All our friends think like us. All our friends look like us. All our no, we have to have diversity. Did you you notice that when Jesus called the 12, they weren't all the same. You had a tax collector mm -hmm. and you had a mm -hmm. zealot. And in, in many ways, that was that was a discipleship tool, that, that diversity, iron sharpens iron. And so a theology, a biblical theology of diversity, uh, exposing ourselves to the reading of other people and to the worship of other uh, racial, uh, cultural groups within the Christian tradition. Um, and that way we're not... Uh, we're we're deepened and enriched. We're not made poor. Diversity doesn't impoverish us. Diversity enriches us. As long as it's done in, with a and the third thing is, I say, assume a posture of humility. Do not, do not. Jesus said to the disciples, "Among us, we shall not be like the others, where they lord it over other people." Yeah. So assume a posture of service. What can I learn? from my African-American sister and brother? What can I learn from my Asian-American sister and brother? What can I learn from my Latino, Latina sister and brother? What can I learn from my European and Anglo sister? A, a, a posture of humility and service, I think, goes a long way. I, I think I, I can hear in my head, you know, having these same discussions with other people and trying to create space. But I, I can hear in my head the people who constantly push back and go, well, it, it feels like power is being taken away from me. Right. When when we when we open up diversity and we, we want other groups of people to have that kind of ability to actually speak into our culture and our context and our way of being, people resist and they fight back because it feels like power is being taken from them. What would you say to someone who's dealing with that tension of where do I go from having my place of uh, privilege, right? My place of privilege where it feels like my privilege is being taken away now. Yeah, I, I think that... The, the Jesus model is instructional in this regard. It's directive. Ha, let this mind be in you. Yeah. That was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, the mm -hmm. Christic hymn of the early church. It yeah. was a hymn that was sung in the church. And it says, you know, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus didn't have to have his power taken away. He yielded it. Yeah. Yeah. He sacrificed it on the cross. Christianity is about sacrifice and giving away power. Because... 
power in the gospel is not like secular people understand power. Power in the gospel is to be given away in service to other people. Yeah. It's not to be hoarded. It's not, it's not like a limited commodity. The more power I give you, the less yeah, power I have. Yeah. That's not how mm-hmm. power works in the gospel. Actually, when you give away power, when you share power, you are actually empowering yourself. You're not becoming impoverished. And so what we need to do is rearticulate a biblical understanding of power. Yeah. Andy Crouch writes books, uh, Weak and Strong. He talks about strength and power and, and in his book, uh, Culture Making. He talks about power. God is not against power. God is omnipotent. He's all powerful. So God is not against power. What God is against is the abuse of power and power that is not mm, in you. Yeah. Real power is used in service of the other. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, right? Christ exists for the other. And so we have to exist for the other. When when I don't privilege, you know, we live in a selfie generation where I'm the privilege. I'm the center of the photo. I'm the David Brooks, the uh, New York Times journalist in his book, uh, The Second Mountain and the Road to Character, talks about the danger of narcissism and ethno-narcissism yeah. as, as, an, as an idol of, the, of, the, of late modernity. So if you're listening today, don't be afraid to give power. That doesn't make you weaker. Not at least in the Christian New Testament resurrection yeah. understanding of power. Yeah. The more power you give away, the actually stronger the community becomes. And so move away from individualistic understandings of power to gospel-centered communal understandings of power. It reminds me of Walter Brueggemann's text, Interpretation and Obedience, yes. right? Where he keeps like talking about this reality that the more that the Israelites tried to actually make their own way, the more they fell into enslavement and exile. And every time they tried to take that power, they ended up losing everything over and over and over again as a cyclical moment, right? And I, and I love what you said there in the reality of actually what the best way is if we give that power up, we actually find ourselves empowered, whether it's freedom from even feeling the need for power, which can actually be a huge freedom, right? To actually feel like, oh, I don't have to have this. What is it that uh, Lord Acton said? Power tends to corrupt. Most people quote it as power corrupts. It's actually the quote is power tends to corrupt. Yeah. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so we have the challenge that we make power an idol. Who has taught us this? Yeah. Jesus, kenosis, the, the Greek word for self-emptying and the self-giving away uh, in, the, or in the Hebrew Bible, it's called your life is a, is a drink offering. Paul said his life was poured out. Yeah. I made of myself of no repute. I, I counted it all as loss that I may gain the cross. Where is that in modern Christianity in the West? The giving away and the sacrificial mm. dimension of, of pouring out our lives as a, as a drink offering, as a libation to use the old English. I think more of that is a, is a New Testament understanding yeah. of power. Yeah. yeah so. so as uh, I hear you, um, on the national landscape, we know that uh, you're a voice there and you navigate in, and speak in different circles. Uh, what would you tell our listeners that are saying, I understand the six, seven million, you know, uh, Pentecostal Hispanics, a uh, 67% labeled Pentecostals. What would you say to those that are saying, I feel more comfortable though in a non-Latino, you know, church, um, even though most people will feel more comfortable 
right? Being at a, let's say, an Anglo-led church than they would. Want. And so what would you tell our listeners? Because I know that there's some pastors and some people out there that would say, um, for the likes of a pastor in the Atlanta area uh, that was on a radio show recently and said, you know, what is it about our very own that would not congregate with with us. You're saying about, uh, as your question, Ben, about Hispanics who don't feel comfortable worshiping with Hispanic-led congregations. Yes, or it could be any person, you know, whether with it be their Asian, own, yeah, right, right. with their own. They, they, they want to be led by a majority culture leader. Correct. Yeah. yeah. It's complicated. It's complicated. Look, I, I, I'm i very careful to not tell people where to worship. But I do think that people have to ask the question, why? Why, why am I more comfortable? What is it? Is it because I I I think my culture is substandard and subnormative, which is mm. which is kind of the sin of 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 in español menosprecio of 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 de- depreciating. God didn't make a mistake by putting you in a culture. You did not decide to be born into an Anglo parent, yeah, or Latino or Asian. That was. You had nothing to do with that. Yeah. God decided that. And God is smart and God is wisdom. And so you need to, why do I not feel comfortable with my, it, is, have I bought the narrative, a colonized narrative that my culture is substandard? Well, be, if you buy the narrative that a culture is substandard, you've also bought another narrative that the other culture is the standard and normative. When anything, when you put any culture as normative over another culture, that is cultural idolatry. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, uh, so l- let me be clear. Latino culture is not superior right. to Anglo culture or African culture, or Asian culture. It is part of the body of Christ and it has a contribution to make. Yeah. And in the melodious symphony of all these cultures is the gospel. Yeah. Right. This, this kind of mosaic of voices and colors and hues and cultures. The, the challenge is that when you live in exile, and now I'm talking about geographic exile, mental exile spirit when you live in a culture where you're not the dominant group a subtle but dangerous narrative can infiltrate your mind your psyche and your spirit that you're less than yeah that you don't you don't you're not normative you're not equal to and so you begin to buy a destructive narrative of self-hate it's not better or worse. It's just different. And it has a contribution. Now, there are things that are worse, that are unhealthy, that are sinful. I'm not talking about yeah, those things. Yeah. Uh, I'm clear on that. But uh, to, to consider your culture substandard, that you have to go to another council to find everything you need. I'm not talking about transcultural mission where you're called right. to that. I'm not talking about cross. I'm talking about when you feel alienated. For no other reason than you bought a narrative, not for missional reasons, that your culture is not enough. You, you need to re-examine that God makes beauty in all things that He creates, and that and that that the Latino, the Asian, the, they all they're imperfect. They're fallen. All cultures are fallen. The Anglo culture is just uh, all the Anglo yeah. are just as fallen as we have yeah. places of strengths and places of limitations, right? That's why everything needs to be judged through the cross and through the gospel. So where my culture contradicts the gospel, I have to be critical of my culture. But where my culture is consonant with the gospel, I celebrate that. And so we have to be careful because somehow we have cultural captivity of Christianity, to quote uh, Dr. Sung Chang Ra, and we can't do that because 
if we begin to buy into the narrative that there's a normative culture that defines the gospel, we've committed idolatry. I, I wonder if that, and I may be way off base here, and you can tell me like, no, no, you're you're being dumb. So if I am, tell me. <laughs> but but I wonder if like there's something about this too that actually exists within our church culture world in which we have these different cultures of the way, not even just ethnic cultures, but actually just like different flavors of... Lit- I mean, liturgy, worship. Right. Yeah, the, the famous culture wars of the 80s and the 90s, that this this type of worship, it, it's, really, it's really prioritizing a preference and making it gospel. Because I, I think about me, right? I grew up in a small-time Pentecostal church mm-hmm. in, in rural North Florida. You know what I mean? Definitely less than 100 people. We have that kind of, uh, I lived, I grew up in that kind of reality and I can see other people that kind of look, not, I don't want to say look down on it, but can actually kind of say that, well, no, that's not the, there's a better way. There's a better type. There's a better style. There's a better, and there's this kind of infighting of, well, no, that we put that down because we have something better or greater or bigger. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, the danger of that is that we can become spiritually pedantic. Hmm and obtuse and arrogant and look down our noses at people. You don't meet our standard. Look, there, there is virtue and excellence in doing things well. But excellence does not have a cultural limitation. Yeah. Excellence is true. In, and so I grew up in a, a small Pentecostal church in Jersey, two, three hundred people. And, man, we... We went in, as the young people say. We we had worship, and it was lively. And and then I went to seminary, and I did my PhD work, and I did all these other things. And people looked at me, and I began to say, man, I wonder what, if what we did was good enough. Yeah. Well, it was more than good enough. People got saved and transformed, and families were restored. And uh, my dad was a former heroin addict, and God radically re- rescued and redeemed him and, and transformed yeah. him. And, and and so I had to take a step back and say, why am I second-guessing it? Is it because I'm valuing the dominant culture over my culture? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's like Daniel in exile. When you're in exile, dear brother, it, whew, the pressure to dance to the music— of the idol, right? Think about what exile does to people, man. You change your name. Yeah. From Daniel to Belshazzar. From, 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 from Ananias and Azariah Mishael, which most people still preach their slave names, not their Hebrew names. Yeah. To Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. From Hadassah to Esther. From Joseph to his, to his Egyptian name. Yeah. And and so there's when you're when you're in exile or or when you're outside of your home country when you're living as exiles as most Christians do the 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 intensity to you know um if I may quote Shakespeare deny thy father refuse thy name. Hmm. You know. Well, Hamlet and Polonius had a conversation over there in in in, in Hamlet act 2 scene 2. This above all to thine own self be true. And so God put you in a culture, celebrate it, embrace it. Don't deny yourself. Yeah. God gave you that contribution. Now, what I can't say is because I was born in this culture, I'm better than you, right? I read a book, uh, Hillbilly Elegy. You remember that book? No. Okay, I'm, well, sorry. Yeah, no. Hillbilly Elegy is about rural America, white Americans. Mm-hmm. It's, it's written by a conservative 
uh, he went, he was actually raised through the Pentecostal church, conservative, uh, and he talks about living in Appalachia. He was raised in Appalachia. And all of the kind of, of, of nomenclatures and prejudices against people in Appalachia. And he's, but he's trying to also say, man, there's beauty here, there's strength here. Yeah, and and yeah. so I'm a Latino trying to say, wait a minute, that guy in Appalachia, he reminds me a lot of the Hibaro in Puerto Rico, right? That mm. he, the name of the book is Hillbilly Elegy yeah. because they call them hillbillies and all of these these pejorative things. And he says, wait a minute, we're people too. We're beautiful too. Yeah, Appalachia is God's country too, just like New York City and L.A. and 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 Native American reservations. And when we're able to see the the glorious multiform manifestation of the grace of God, we take off our parochial lenses. Yeah, our culturally captive lenses, and say, hmm. There's something I can appreciate. It may not be my cup of tea, but I can appreciate that from there. It's not yeah. where I grew up. It's not home cooking, but but God is in it. Yeah. Man, um, first of all, quoting Shakespeare. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm at a totally loss of words. different level, right? right? Like you're just way up here. Where just, uh, dumbfounded. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> so help me. Help me help our listeners embrace um, embrace the gospel in a way that we embrace others. Um, help us understand, because what I see in my limited capacity as a millennial, right, uh, 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 old millennial, is that sometimes we rather go with the dominant culture because it's it's the language we speak in. It's the it's what I'm used to at the workplace. It's what I'm used to at the gym. It's what I'm used to on TV. And so it's easy for me to adapt and assimilate than it is for me to be true to thyself. So, so look, I think that we have to embrace the dialectic, the hyphen, the, the both and rather than the either or. I don't think people should assimilate. I don't think the gospel ever asked us to assimilate only to the gospel. Yeah. But not to any culture. It does call us to integrate. Integration is I meet you where you are and I appreciate you while I am true to me. I learn something from you. I may adapt some things, but I don't lose myself. Yeah. Assimilation is I become you. And so the gospel is for integration, right? Dr. King marched not for assimilation. He marched for integration. Yeah. I don't want to become something or not. So integration is where everybody meets as equals and they find the value and the beauty that they each bring to the table. And so what we have to teach ourselves and what we have to learn is that the gospel is a radical boundary crossing gospel. That it, it calls us to risk. Faith is nothing if not risk and love. Risk based on love. If I love you, I respect you, I'm sitting there to sit to listen to you, to have empathy. But I also, the Bible says, love your neighbors, you love yourself. The problem is there are people who love their neighbors, but don't love themselves. Mm -hmm. And so God is calling you to this holistic love where you love you. I love, man, I love being Puerto Rican. I love Puerto Ricanness. I love Latinidad and Hispanicity. Yeah. And I, I used to teach, I preach in a multi-ethnic church. One third of my church was Chinese, one third Hispanic from 20 different countries, and one third Anglo, white, African-American, West Indian, African in New York City. Yeah. So I had it all. And I said to them, when I celebrate my Puerto Ricanness, I am not denouncing your Asianness. I'm being the best Puerto Rican I can be because God put me in that culture, but not over and against you. Yeah, yeah. To celebrate that God put me in a culture is giving you the freedom that God put you in a different culture and celebrate that. Not better, not worse. Complimentary. And that's 
because people think that to affirm somebody means you have to denounce somebody else. To affirm Hispanicity is not to denounce blackness yeah. or Asianness or yeah. Europeanness. Now, when you begin to affirm a certain culture as normative and privilege and downgrade another culture, that's sin. Yeah. Because that's oppression. Yeah. And so it's a dance. It's a it's a cha-cha. It's a vault. It's it's a it's a merengue. It's it's where you learn that 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 you're beautiful, your culture is beautiful, and somebody there's beauty in and, and somebody else's culture, everything in its season and in its time. But when the self-hate comes in, you can't love somebody else if you don't love yourself. Yeah, yeah it's not possible. It, it, it's it's an internal contradiction. And if you love somebody else and you don't love yourself, you're in, assimilating but not integrating. And that 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 destroys, that impoverishes, uh, that that balkanizes. Diversity is not hostility. And so, let me give you an example. If I say women matter. I'm not saying men don't matter. Right, right. Right? These yeah. are not, so if I say black lives matter, I'm not saying white lives don't matter. I, I, to affirm someone is not to denounce somebody yeah. else. But we live in such a balkanized society that to affirm somebody, now there's some people who do do that, who to affirm themselves, they have to denounce you or destroy you. But that's not the gospel. Yeah. That's not the gospel. We need to redeem that. I also think that people need to, to remember that to follow Aslan is not safe. Hmm. He's a lion. Hmm. Yeah. Lions are not safe. Lucy, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver told Lucy, lions are not safe. Yeah. But they are good. Sometimes to do the good thing is to do the unsafe thing. Yeah. Gosh, I, I don't, I, after all this, I'm like, I don't know how to wrap this up right now, but I know that we've got some time constraints, but yeah. we're so thankful that you would kind of Thank jump in this room with ben us and have Aaron some conversations Austin. with us. So much to chew on here and to learn from. Yeah. I, I think, I don't think there's any other conversation right now that could be quite as important in our culture as yeah. actually dealing with the kind of the issues that we've been we dealing with. We need to heal with. our nation. We yeah. need to heal it. So we're so thankful that you uh, that you joined us today. If you would just let our listeners know maybe how they can connect with you, if there's any way social media or a book that you've written or anything that they can connect yeah, to you if with. If you want to, I don't know, follow Jesus. I don't need to, to even <laughs> follow me. But if you want to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at Salgueros, S-A-L-G-U-E-R-O-S, at the National Latino Co Evangelical Coalition. Uh, we have a Facebook page at Calvario City Church. We we transmit our services in English at 9 a.m., in Spanish at 11 a.m., in, in tongues in both services. Uh, so, so Calvario City Church is on Facebook, on YouTube, and all. It's a church I have the privilege of serving. And uh, they also have a, a Twitter account at CCCORL. But most importantly, you know, just uh, grow deep. Yeah. Just grow out. Grow deep. Yeah. Into the gospel. It'll change your life. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, Thank you, for, thanks for being with us. Love you guys.